All right, let's turn together this evening to Matthew chapter number 10 once again. Matthew chapter number 10. And we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. My intention last week was to uh, cover all of the verses that were, uh, we, we began looking at last week. But we're going to be looking primarily this evening at verses 21 through 25. And we're going to continue considering the subject of persecution. Of course, you'll remember as we introduce this particular section uh, that our Lord had given instructions to his apostles. Uh, some of them were very practical instructions, uh, but he also acknowledged that in some of those towns and some of those households, he would not be welcomed, he would not be received, and that they should shake the dust off of their feet and remind them uh, to continue on in the commission that he had given them. But he also wanted them to know that the least of the things they would face would be the homes that would not receive them, but that rather they would also face uh, deeper persecution. Uh, he did warn them as he sent them that there would be a, a hateful rejection. Uh, there would be a rejection of the message in which they were carrying. Uh, they would have to deal with persecution. Uh, there is no question about it. There was no way around it. Uh, they were going to have to deal with it. Uh, as we dealt with those verses, beginning back in verse 16, we covered verses 16 through 20. And uh, two of the main thoughts were that uh, he did tell the apostles that they would be sent like sheep into the midst of wolves. In other words, they were like sheep going into a pack of wolves and that uh, you could expect what that outcome would look like and that it would be a ferocious attack that they would be dealing with. But then at the same time, he told them that they were to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And we kind of looked at how uh, that particular statement was that they were to be shrewd, they were to be a very much aware, uh, but they were not to go with a message of hate. They were not to go with a message of uh, revenge per se, but they were to go in wisdom. Uh, so tonight we begin to see how this really begins to uh, ramp up. Uh, they were already warned about being brought before councils. They were warned about uh, uh, not taking thought for what they would say, that the Spirit would tell them what to speak or give them what to speak. But we really begin to see the inner workings of what this persecution would look like. So in verses 21 through 23, I just want us to consider uh, that the apostles uh, would face betrayal and hatred. Uh, they would face betrayal and hatred. And really, verse 21 is quite stirring uh, because he begins to acknowledge and tells them uh, that they would face uh, persecution uh, even from their own family. Uh, verse 21, let's look at that together. He says, And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Uh, I, I can hardly think of anything uh, that sounds so horrible as this. Uh, here he tells them that brother would deliver brother, fathers would raise up against their own children, and that because of this message that they were carrying, they would bring them to the place of death. 
uh, for doing nothing more than being faithful ministers of the gospel. Uh, Now, it's one thing to face persecution from a magistrate. It's one thing to face persecution uh, from a a government official or from the hierarchy in which they were facing. Uh, But this really begins to get very personal. It begins to be where now we're talking about brothers and fathers uh, uh, delivering up those who are carrying these messages. And uh, imagine uh, being rejected by a total stranger and, of course, has its own set of uh, concerns. But to be rejected and hated uh, by fellow brethren and even dividing family relations uh, this is indeed a, a serious uh, situation that they're talking about here. Uh, blood would not be enough. Uh, just simply being blood-related would not guarantee uh, that they would not face severe persecution. Uh, you know, we live in a, a society today, uh, I don't know if, if a brother or a, a brother would deliver up another brother in our country for this, I don't know if fathers would turn against their own children and turn them in uh, or would persecute them. But this really speaks of a a state of affairs that I think really demonstrates just how depraved man can be, uh, but also shows us uh, how hated the message of the gospel would be. Uh, It is not going to be received. Uh, They would be delivered up by those who were related to them. Uh, They would be delivered to the authorities. Uh, And when they were being delivered to the authorities, the thought was that they were going to be put to death. And uh, so you can think of hardly anything more unnatural than this, to think about uh, the family relations here. And specifically, look, it says, And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Imagine a father laying aside his natural affection for his child. Now, as a father, that's almost unthinkable to me. It's, it's almost an unfathomable thought to think about giving up my natural affection for my own child. This child, who no doubt he brought into the world, raised that child up and took care of that child, um, delighted in that child. Um, in some situations, it might have been an only child. So imagine that a brother or a a father turning away his natural affection for his child. And children shall rise up against their parents. You have an environment here where families are being divided, where fathers are giving up their children because of the message, where children are rising up against their parents because of the message and cause them to be put to death. Uh, They would deliver these apostles into the hands of wicked magistrates. Uh, Children, uh, almost as sad as the fathers giving up their natural affection, the children uh, would forfeit their natural affection for their parents. And so uh, there are these bonds that are being broken. Folks, this really does show just how corrupt society can be. It shows us how corrupt, uh, not just during the days of the apostles, but how corrupt mankind can be. Um, I don't know if we take seriously enough how hated the gospel message is in not only our country in some places, but around the world. But remember the context. Jesus was speaking to these apostles, and he was speaking specifically about what they were going to face. And 
So we've got to keep that in mind. But it also shows just how hated Christ was by Satan himself. Um, that he would want these messengers of the gospel uh, to be delivered up. In verse 22, Jesus goes on and again reminds them that they shall be hated. Notice what he says, of all men for my name's sake. Now again, this is particularly directed at the apostles in our context here. But he says that you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Uh, These apostles were going to face hatred, uh, but I think there's also the application that any follower of Christ, even in our society, uh, I think it's without doubt you're going to be hated by someone. Someone's going to hate the message. Now, you might not hear them say it. Um, You may not hear them, you may not see them show it. But there certainly uh, is a, an enmity uh, towards the cross. Uh, to be hated of all men for his namesake uh, would go even into the lines of being uh, badly treated. Uh, all men suggest that it might even be friends. It might even be relations. It might even be people who, who they knew who would face and would hate them. Now, of course, we know that for the most part, the Jews were in great hatred. The Jews hated Christ. They hated everything he was standing for. Uh, They had rejected the Messiah. They were going to continue to reject him. But understand that there would be some success. You know, we can paint this picture and saying, wow, why even bother if there's not going to be any success? But we do know from reading the scriptures and reading the gospels that there were conversions and there were people saved. And that they're even in the midst of persecution and being hauled in before judges and magistrates. And as we read last week in the book of Acts, uh, being taken before councils and being told, do not preach in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet they knew they had to obey God more than obeying man. And they continued. So there was fruit. There were people that were saved. There was conversions. There were people who were believed in Jesus Christ. They did repent of their sins. There were people who, during this apostolic commission, when they're sent out, there were people who were converted to the faith. But Jesus wanted them to know exactly what they were going to face. They were going to face the realities of what it means to be an ambassador of Christ. Hatred really encompasses, really, no boundaries. Uh, We hear a lot in our day and age today about hate. We hear, sadly, seemingly more and more hatred towards people and hatred towards uh, uh, different types of people. And uh, hatred is is, uh, just has so many layers to it. And yet this hatred, he says, is specifically for my name's sake. So imagine being hated simply because of the name of Christ. And he says, yet the apostles, that's what you are going to face. Uh, The very same Christ that you are being sent out by is the very same reason why man is going to hate you. That very Christ that they believed in, that very Christ that they zealously would be preaching. And he reminds them that you will be hated. But then he gives this 
phrase, and he says, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Now, of course, to endure suggests that there were going to be real tribulations, real trials, real persecutions, and that these disciples of Christ, as they walk through this world, going from house to house, town to town, city to city, place to place, there would eventually be an end to it. This is a suggestion that eventually he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Jesus tells them this will not be forever. This will not be always. There is an endurance that's going to take place here. There is an end to these persecutions. There's an end either to the end of their life or even Jesus might have been making reference to the destruction of Jerusalem. Both of those things. There was an ending coming to when the enemies would be cut off. The enemies of the gospel, the enemies of Christ will eventually be cut off to where there will no longer be uh, enmity towards Christ and enmity towards his people. That day certainly is coming. But until then, they would have to endure all manner of persecution for the name of Christ. But he wasn't telling them that it was an option for them to give up the faith. He was telling them that he that endureth to the end. He expected endurance. He expected them to continue. He didn't expect them to quit, even though persecution was coming, even though trial was coming. He wasn't telling them it's okay to stop, but rather not only would they be saved temporally at some point, but they also know that as believers, there would be an eternal salvation uh, that even the greatest enemy of the cross could not stop. So we see here that even as we consider to be hated, uh, this is a present reality. Uh, over in John chapter number 5, if you want to turn over there, uh, later Jesus makes mention of this specific thought of, in John 5, beginning there in verse number 10. The Jews therefore said unto him that was, was cured... It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked them, then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered, My father worketh hitherto and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. You see, even, even in the midst of a miracle, even in the midst of a healing of a man, the Jews hated the realities of who Jesus was claiming to be, and they persecuted. And be, the more goodness that he preached and the more goodness that he did did not lead man's heart to be softened towards him, but rather they responded in a hateful way. There is the reality that the true disciples of Christ are going to persevere to the end. We take great comfort in knowing the perseverance of the saints, that we are going to endure, and there is a guarantee that those that are in Christ, we will persevere until the end. 
But there is the reality of this real persecution and this real uh, danger they'd be facing. Verse 23, he tells them, not if they persecute you, but look at verse 23. He says, but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. When they persecute you in this city or in any city you go, wherever you go preaching the gospel, wherever you go, do not stop, do not cease to preach, but go somewhere else. Go somewhere else that they might find a better reception. Now remember, we looked and remember the first commission and the first instruction to Jesus' apostles were that they were not to go in the way of, Gent- of, the, way of the Gentiles, yet they were the, only to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But he says, as you go, when they persecute you, don't let the persecution keep you from going on. Just move on. Move on to the next place. Move on and continue. Do more good. Flee ye into another, it says. I don't think so much, and there's, there's some debate, and I think it's healthy on this, uh, there are, I don't think Jesus was so much telling them to flee just for their own safety, although I also don't think that we are commanded uh, to just simply give ourselves over and give up. Uh, there's kind of a debate between commentators saying that, you know, when, when he says flee into another, that uh, Jesus meant, hey, do everything you can to be safe, do everything you can to get out of it. And I think there's a part of that. But I also think that uh, through this, through these, uh, the accumulation of circumstances that are coming, I think Jesus's point was, was keep moving, not so much for your own safety, but so that the gospel will continue to be spread. But yet I don't think that we are, we are supposed to just simply give up and not try to flee and not try to go into another place or another town. Uh, this exhortation uh, really um, is not so much about an escape, but I think it ties back with the idea in verse 22 of persevere. I think the thoughts are connected. I think the fact that he's telling them to flee into another is not flee for your safety, but flee because he that endures to the end shall be saved. I think he was calling them to, pers- to perseverance, to not stop, to not quit. Now, they know that even to escape from one town or one city was to go into another place and face persecution there also. So they were to continue to fulfill the office of preaching the gospel. And then notice it says, For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. Uh, now verily, anytime you see that, Jesus, of course, is speaking in a certain indisputable truth. He's, it it is, leaves us with no ability to call into question what he's getting ready to say. That tells us that he's strongly affirming what he's about to say. He's strongly affirming the truth. You shall not have gone over the cities of Israel or finished in those cities or finished your tour through those cities, finished preaching the gospel till the Son of Man become. Now again, this verse, this phrase leads us into conversations as to was he talking about until the second coming Was he talking only until Jesus Christ goes to the cross and raises from the dead, when at that point he's declared to be the Son of God? Is he talking to 
uh, when the glorification begins? Is he talking about the pouring out of the Spirit? Uh, or is he talking about when he's actually taken up into heaven as part of the, as part of the ascension? But the reality here is, is that there was not to be an end to this ministry. They were to continue and to continue and to continue until such time as their mission on this earth was concluded. Now, maybe it was until the, Christ, until the kingdom of Christ comes. Maybe it is until the resurrection. But again, I think it ties back to the perseverance. I think the point was that it continue and continue and continue until your work on this earth is done. And then he says something startling but so true. Verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. I sat back today and I continued to just think on this and ponder Jesus saying this, actually talking to the apostles, actually talking to the disciples, and telling them, men, you are not above me. And what he's really getting at is that you should not expect better treatment than I'm going to get. If they're going to so badly mistreat me, you shouldn't expect better treatment than how they treat me. Because I, as your master, am above you. You are not above me. As a matter of fact, we are so far from being his master, we are, in fact, inferior to him. We're inferior not only in his humanity, but we're inferior in our knowledge, our reputation, our character. You cannot expect to be treated better than I am. The master is not going to be treated with decency. The master is not going to be treated with respect. So you should not expect to be treated with decency, and you should not be expected to be treated with respect. Now, sometimes I think we get the idea that living a good Christian life, and I'm using that term a little bit loosely, that we're going to earn the respect of this world. That we're somehow going to be viewed and say, wow, that's really living. They didn't respect our Lord. Why should we expect to be, res- why should we expect to be respected? I would say if probably if we're fitting into the world and we're not facing some kind of disrespect and we're not facing some level of persecution, maybe we're not living clearly enough that we are in fact Christians. Folks, I don't think we fully comprehend how contrary being a follower of Christ is to this world. We are not supposed to blend in and fit in we are supposed to obviously stand out and be different. Not because we look different, necessarily, not because we dress differently, but because of the message that we're carrying. Now, I don't know why Jesus had to tell them that. You know, the disciples had times when they would fight over who was going to be first, right? They would say, who's going to be the greatest? And The idea here is, is Jesus is very much putting them where they need to understand. He's he's not just rebuking them, but he is intending to strengthen their minds, to remind them that the, the reproach and the persecution that you are about to meet with 
please understand that this is the same treatment in which I'm going to be met with. So he's saying, if I'm your master, a teacher, now a master, in the, even in the, the Jewish tradition, was a teacher that came from God. And he says, if I'm a master, and I'm a teacher that is sent from God, and as the Bible says, teaches with authority as no other man has ever taught with, and they will treat me the way that they treated me, then you should not be looking for better treatment than what I've received. We are getting into a time, and again, this may just be my opinion, we are getting into a time when we don't want to suffer much for the cause of Christ. We like our comfortable, easy Christianity. Nobody wakes up saying, I want to find persecution. Nobody says, I want to find some hatred. But I also wonder if we really truly understand what it is that we're not above Christ. We're not above what he... I mean, we can, we can read the scriptures and we can read the accounts of the crucifixion. We can read what happened to Jesus and we can say, these are horrific things and I can't believe they mistreated him. I can't believe they spit upon him. I can't believe they mocked him. But he's saying, you should not expect better treatment than they gave me. And then he clarifies it. Maybe that's not the best word. Nor the servant above his Lord. Now, this is not just a random statement. This is actually the servant above his Lord is actually a proverbial expression. The Jews actually had a saying within their ranks that no servant is worthier, that's how they said it, than his master. Jesus is actually playing on what is, will be a normal Jewish saying. No servant is ever of more worth than his master. Christ often made use of common, known, everyday expressions. He used illustrations. He, one of the things that made him the master teacher was that he could be walking his disciples along a road and he could point to a tree, he could point to a bush, he could point to a field, he could point to a mountain, and he could tell them and teach them from that. He's using a well-known expression. These disciples would have known that expression. They would have known no servant is worthier than his master. It was very common. Again, Jesus is not rebuking them. Jesus is conveying to them and strengthening their minds, reminding them that since I am your Lord, you are my servants, you should not expect to escape the persecution, the insults, or even to escape from them based upon how they will treat me. He continues in verse 25 and says, It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. In other words, a disciple should think, him, think about himself to be entirely satisfied if he meets with no worse treatment than his master receives. In other words, if the worst that it is for me, this is, this is kind of a challenging concept. 
He should be satisfied that the worst he's going to face is what his master is going to face. Because in that master-servant relationship, the servant acknowledges that whatever the master endures, I should also be satisfied that that's the worst that I will endure. Now again, our perspective of persecution, our perspective of suffering. He should expect the same treatment. The servant as his Lord. These expressions, again, as was mentioned before, these were proverbs, these were common sayings, and the Lord is choosing to use them. And this very statement, the servant as his Lord, again, the proverbial statement was, it is enough for the servant that he be as his master. So that's what he was telling them. It's enough that the servant be like his master. Again, our Lord is applying and he's instructing using very common expressions. Remember what a disciple is. A disciple is a learner. A disciple doesn't just simply hear, watch, A disciple actually is supposed to imitate. A disciple is actually supposed to expect and follow the lead of the master. Which leads him into the statement. If they have called the master of the house. Now, we already know the master of the house is Jesus Christ himself. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub. How much more shall they call them of the household? Do you know that they accused Jesus of working the works of Satan? They accused him of saying, you work these works because you are of the devil. Do you know the hatred was so deep for our Lord that they actually accused him of satanic works? How much more shall they call them of his household? Well, who are those of the household? Disciples, the family of God. And he's saying again, if they called me Satan, if they call me Satan, what do you think they're going to say about you as a member of that household? The master of the household, he of course means himself, the master of the family, not just here on earth, but in heaven. Jesus himself did not escape the severest insults of the wicked Jews. They called him by the most offensive names they could find, and Beelzebub was one of those. Now, Beelzebub was a god. He was a god that was, the word actually means, a master fly. Beelzebub was actually Baal the fly. He was a fly god. And we actually see where they call him this in Matthew 12. Look at verse 24. Matthew 12, verse 24. And of course, this is after Jesus had cast out devils. And notice how they describe him. And in verse 23, well, let's go back to verse 22 to see the context. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. 
The Pharisees actually said Jesus has this ability to cast out the devils by Satan's power. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. And then the definitive declaration he makes, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Jesus clearly, even in Matthew 12, said, this is not true. I do not do this by... But that was intended to be a great insult to Jesus himself. The Jews looked upon all of the deities of the Gentiles. They considered all of them demons. They considered all of them devils. There was no worse thing that they could say about Jesus than to say that he does these miracles by the power of Satan. There was no more reproachful name they could give him. The Lord again is telling that since the great master of the house was called such an abusive, offensive name, that should not be a reason for them to stumble and a reason for them to fall. If somebody who is lower in the family is called by that which the higher member of the family is called, they shouldn't be disturbed by it. Folks, if we truly took the principles here, what Jesus was telling his apostles, that we should expect and his apostles should expect no less persecution and no less than what he faced. So what did he ultimately do? He ultimately died. He ultimately went to the cross. Our death, of course, their death would not be atoning. It didn't satisfy the justice, uh, the, the righteousness and the holiness of God. But they should not expect anything less. And you realize that most all of these apostles, that very thing happened to them. They died for the faith. The disciple is not above his master. These really are difficult principles. They're difficult things to think about. But they also make us grateful to think about what Jesus has done for us. So as we bring this, kind of to, a, bring this to a close tonight, I want us to think about the concept again that no, nobody, just, to ap- just apply it tonight, nobody loves persecution. As I've said many, many times from this pulpit, from this place, I don't know the timing, I don't know when, I don't know how. But I think we need to be prepared for persecution. And I think we need to be prepared to endure whatever that persecution is. And I think the lesson here tonight is is that we should not expect better treatment than our Lord got. Again, these are difficult things. This kind of flies into the face of the church is just fun crowd, doesn't it? Where it says, you know, let's come to the church house and you entertain me and you program me and you take care of my children and you, you just give me entertainment so that I have a social outlet. I will tell you that has never been the intent of the church. It's never been the intent of the church to meet our social needs, although there's no greater fellowship than we can have than with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
But isn't it amazing that Jesus says about his disciples, don't expect better treatment than I have. And yet we have people that are saying out there that Jesus just wants you to have a life of leisure and fun and no worries. No, honestly, if we stand for the true gospel and no, we're not apostles ourselves, we're not being sent out exactly the same way that they are. But if we are truly in in the faith, we need to be prepared for persecution. We need to keep the cross ever before us. We need to understand that the gospel has been entrusted to us. We as a church cannot stop preaching the gospel. Disciples of Christ must be prepared to go and to go through whatever our master's been through. I don't know about you, but this has challenged me deeply. This this concept, this principle has really challenged me deeply. Because every time we think it's not fair that I'm suffering for my faith, it's not fair that people mistreat me. It's not fair that people are saying awful things about me. The disciple is not above his master. And right now, whatever we're enduring right at this moment, I can guarantee you we have not yet suffered unto blood. We haven't suffered as he suffered yet, but yet we have a promise We have a promise that these things will come to an end. We have a promise we will persevere till the end and that one day we will step into eternity and we will step in to the gates of glory and Jesus Christ will be there and we will see him as he is. We will be like him. But folks, now is not the time for the church to say, we're just going to put this on cruise control. We're just going to put this on autopilot. We're just going to cruise through life. We should be prepared to endure persecution. Again, it might not be in our lifetime. It may be our children. Real severe persecution may come. It may come in our children's children. But I do know the Lord tells his disciples to prepare. Next week, we're going to deal with the section starting in verse uh, verse 26 down through verse 33. If you'd like to read ahead for Wednesday evenings, sometimes it might be a help to you to to just kind of meditate on that and think about it. We're going to be dealing with the fear of God and how Jesus deals with um, how they should not fear those that can kill the body, which goes directly in the context we talked about tonight, but that they should fear God. Not man, but fear God. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, and we thank you, Lord, for the mercy that has been extended. And Lord, I think every believer here tonight, we are, we are reminded and we are challenged by what our Lord told his apostles and what he told them to expect. And Lord, I pray that we would get the intended lesson of this tonight, and we would get the, the, the meaning of this text And that, Father, it would challenge us that the Spirit would remind us of who we are in Christ, that we are not above our Lord. We are not to expect better treatment. And, Lord, we are burdened, and we are are burdened for those around the world who are facing this reality right now. 
they are facing some of the very things. And I do pray that you would give them the strength. I pray that you would give them the endurance to persevere. I would imagine there are people in this world who are even seeing their own family uh, turn them in. Uh, They're seeing their own parents, their own siblings, uh, because there's such a hatred for the gospel that they're turning in their own family members to authorities. And Lord, I don't think we fully understand this yet in our country. But Lord, I certainly pray you would continue to give us the strength and the courage and the boldness. And may we never be ashamed of the gospel. And may this tonight, may it challenge us, yes, but may we also rejoice knowing that you have prepared the way of salvation. You have prepared an atoning sacrifice that Christ has accomplished our salvation. And that because of that, we can have a certain hope. Lord, we thank you, we praise you for this evening. And thank you for what you're instructing us and teaching us. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.